but in about 1951, an evangelist named Charles Welburn, and I still remember his name, came to First Baptist Church, Belzona, Mississippi. That's where I graduated high school in 53. But I don't remember the song leader's name, but he sang this song, number 255. And he sang it every night that he was there, and the congregation, which was a big congregation at that time, hummed the melody while he sang. And it made my hair stand up, and I still remember it to this day. And I don't know whether you've ever heard it or not, but it says, Oh, dear brother, when the world is burning, don't you want God's bosom to be your pillow? Hide me in the rock of ages, rock of ages, slip for me. Imagine a congregation the size of that congregation was at that time. All of them hung a humming. And him singing that song. And it has stayed in my mind for these 20-something years. <laughs> yeah, 20-something years. <laughs> Yeah, some some twenty something years. But you take sometimes you sometimes take a case for not listening. But kids many times are listening too. And so you never know to whom you're speaking. I said I had my hearing aids in a while ago. Now I've got one in. This one over here kept playing me a tune, and I've never heard it before. So, so I think it means that I'm getting battery. Is and this is a rechargeable. I just took it off the charger this morning, so I don't know why it's not charged. But this one over here is still functioning. First uh, Corinthians. This morning, second chapter, and we shall finish up. First Corinthians, second chapter this morning. I told you when we started this that it is broken into three parts, according to the theologians, which I are not one, but. I started off, it, I said this whole chapter is basically instructions to preachers on what to preach and how to preach. And so we started off with the first section. Second section last week was we ended up with the ninth verse. 
As scripture says, what eye has not seen and ear has not heard and has not entered in the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. And so this morning we start off with the third section and I have titled this, The Gift of the Spirit of God. And this is the conclusion of this chapter. And we want to talk about the Holy Spirit and His ministry in the life of Christians. According to the book of John, the Holy Spirit has a threefold ministry. He is to convict the world of sin, of judgment, and of righteousness. Convict or convince. Now, whether you realize it or not, that's how we all get saved. By the Holy Spirit looking and saying, Steve, you are a sinner. Now, only the Holy Spirit can shine a light into the eyes of a dead man and be heard because we are all, before salvation, are dead in trespasses and sin. So we're dead. You go down to the mortuary and you offer anyone down there their favorite food, drink, beverage, whatever, and you will get no response. If you do, you're in the wrong place. (laughs) So... The Holy Spirit, though, can come and shine that light upon a person who's dead in trespasses and sin and say, you are a sinner. And then the judgment and the wages of sin is death. So, you say, How do I get out of this? And he says, by righteousness. And you say, I'm going to get righteous. And that don't work, does it? And he says, not your righteousness, but his righteousness. Only by his righteousness. We sing a song, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. And that is the threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit. But then after salvation is what we're going to talk about today, is what the Holy Spirit does. Verse 10 says this, Yet to us, 
or I titled this unto us. Yet to us, God has unveiled and revealed them by and through his spirit. We're talking about those benefits, what God has in store for us in the ninth verse. He says, but by and through his spirit, for the Holy Spirit searches diligently, exploring and examining everything, even sounding the profound and bottomless things of God. Now that is a statement that the commentaries usually take a whole page on this one verse right here. Because you study that verse for a while and think on it for a while and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate your mind on that for a while and you'll find out something thing in this. This unto us. Remember who's writing this. Paul is writing this. He's an apostle. An apostle, the Greek word apostello means one who is sent. We don't have any apostles out there today, regardless of what some of these black churches have. They call them apostle so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. We don't have any apostles today. Paul was the last. I think he maybe died before John did but, but on the Isle of Patmos. But anyway, we don't have any apostles today. One who is sent. The standard for the apostles is they must have seen Jesus. Now you say, well, Paul, yeah, Paul did see him. He was revealed to him on that road that, that day. So Paul was an apostle. So the Holy Spirit first revealed these things up here that what ears not seen and eyes not, I mean, eyes not seen, ears not heard, all that, was revealed to the apostles. And then second, to all Christians, to all Christians, through all the ages of Christianity, this Holy Spirit still reveals to us how? By the Spirit. In the Word. If you wake up tonight and there's a bright shining being at the foot of your bed, don't panic and run. Just question. Whatever that bright shining being tells you, Make sure it is in perfect, perfect alignment with this word. If it's not, that shining being is not from God. Because the devil appears as an angel of light. So, the Holy Spirit will not deviate from what he dictated to these writers in this book here. 
Now I'm in, I'm reading from the Amplified, and I'm perfect and in perfect agreement with Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson said, "When I tell you that I believe that the Word of God is the infallible, inerrant Word of God, I'm not talking about King James." And I'm not talking about an NASB or whatever. He said, I'm talking about the original manuscripts. The reason I like the Amplified is I found out back in the 1950s that you cannot translate one language into another verbatim. It does not work. And Patricia said no. And that's she's been around it a lot, enough to know. You cannot do so. There are idiomatic expressions, what we call idiomatic expressions. One of them is, I'm going to tell you how the cow ate the cabbage. Well, you know good and well that I'm not going to sit up here and lecture you on how a cow ate a cabbage. It means I'm going to tell you the truth of the matter. And that's that's one of our idioms, our, our American idioms. Uh, the Koreans have one says, I told you, none one some you don't know more, so told you, which means occasionally even monkeys fall out of trees. <laughs> we say everybody makes mistakes. So, you can't translate one language directly into another. And Greek being a, oh, God just did a wonderful thing when he put this in the Greek. Because the Greek is the most expressive. You know, you say, I love pizza. I love my husband. I love my grandfather. Well, what is all that love about? The Greeks didn't say it that way. I feel my brother, brotherly love, Philadelphia. I eros that girl. That's erotic love. Storge. Storge. Fam familial love, family love. And then you got that magic one, the agape. That is where you love based upon what? The value of the one loved. And for God, so agape. He loved me when I hated him. See, that's the expressiveness of the Greek language. And that's the reason that I like this because it's got these amplifications in there. We used to have to, in the language that we were studying, whatever language it was at the language school that you were enrolled in. I studied the Korean language six hours a day, five days a week for 42 weeks so that I could be a spy. 
But you find out that you can't always translate directly. And so when we talk about the Bible, we should try our best to go to the original documents, the originals, and find out what it meant in that language. I made Ted Witchin mad one time because I told him, I said, the only reason you guys want to use the King James Version of the Bible so you can stand up there and say, now in the Greek, this is a very expressive word. I said, whereas if you just said it in English the right way, you wouldn't have to go through all that. I said, you're just trying to show your education, you know, that uh, you understand all that. But anyway, by his spirit, even today, have you ever had the experience of reading your Bible and all of a sudden it becomes bold print? And I've, I've learned something about that. If you're reading your Bible, you ought to have a notepad lying nearby because you said, boy, I'm going to remember that. And tomorrow you go back and you read that same passage and you said, where was it? He says, if you didn't listen the first time, I'm not going to repeat it. So these gifts, this gift of the Holy Spirit to us is for a purpose. It is so that we can comprehend the things of God. And he says unto us, first to the apostles, if it was given to the apostles by the Holy Spirit and they wrote it down, there is a little thing in algebra that says, or in uh, geometry, one of the two, I can't remember which one, says things equal to the same thing are equal. Right? That's one of the axioms of math, is things equal to the same thing are equal. So if we have... The apostles were inspired. They wrote it down. Therefore, Scripture is inspired. And Scripture claims to be inspired. It says that all Scripture was given by inspiration, right? So it's inspired. So we can trust this book, especially if we go and study into it and find some of the original original language. I've got a Bible or a New Testament by a guy named Kenneth Wiest, who was a professor at Moody Bible Institute of Greek. A lot of times, I don't see it on one of my footnotes right here right now, but a lot of times I see Wiest in the, one of my footnotes here. He was that well known. And he's got what is called an expanded translation of the New Testament where he translates the Greek literally in the grammar. The Greek grammar the verb always ended up at the end of the sentence. 
Korean, same way. You get used to it, you know. And you say, you, we're going. That sounds strange in English. But in the foreign language, it is not. It's you, we're going. Uh, Chinese, ni zhang, dai no juma. But uh, that's just simply where you're going. So if you get used to reading it in this context, that's a good translation to use. The Amplified does something similar to that. But by his spirit, therefore scripture is inspired. We did it by illumination. We read the Bible and we depend upon the Holy Spirit for illumination. Go to Phillips County Library. Go up there and you find a two-volume set of, of books by a man named Isaac Asimov. You, any of you familiar with him? He wrote science fiction. It's well-known science fiction. Jewish guy. He has written a verse-by-verse commentary on the Bible that was not inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says that when Jesus walked on the water, what he was doing was standing on a scrap piece of wood that was up on the bank and was just kind of surfing out to the, you know, out to the apostles. And such things as that, I mean, he goes through the entire scripture repudiating the Bible. So was he illuminated by the Holy Spirit? Not hardly. We get it only by illumination. And we'll find more about that in a minute. See, the Spirit is omniscient. He says, the Holy Spirit understands us. Omniscient means all-seeing. The Holy Spirit knows what is in your heart, what's in my heart, what's in this congregation's heart. So therefore, omniscience, being one of the attributes of God, tells us what? That the Holy Spirit is divine. It's not a power or Jehovah's Witnesses deny the divinity of the Holy Spirit. They just say that it's a power. The force be with you. If you remember Star Wars or whatever it was, you know, the force be with you. That's what they, they think on this. See, and then verse 11, it says this, For what person perceives what passes through a man's thoughts except the man's own spirit within him? Just so no one discerns the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What he's doing is he's making an analogy here. Mickey, I can't read your spirit. I can't read your inmost thoughts. Nor can you mine. 
see, no man knows. You know, there's the old, the old proverb says, know thyself. Only you can know yourself. What your inmost thoughts, desires, wants, needs, all that. I can't. I can't do that. I can't look into your being and find out what your thoughts are. And so Paul says right here, no man knows what a man's thoughts are. And so, just so, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We cannot read God's mind. We can't. What he's got planned, we don't know. He reveals a lot to us. The Holy Spirit's able to reveal a lot to us. But nobody can read God's mind. See, only the individual can know himself. And one man cannot read another, nor God. That's what this verse is saying. I can't read you, you can't read me, and we can't read God. But then verse 12 says, Our teacher, now we have not received the spirit that belongs to the world, but the Holy Spirit who is from God, given to us that we might realize and comprehend and appreciate the gifts. That's amplification of divine favor, blessing so freely and lavishly bestowed on us by God. In other words, how can we realize all the blessings and things that God has given us except by what? Revelation. Our teacher. He opens our mind to these things. Without him, you cannot. And he confirms our secure hope. See, hope to a Christian is not some nebulous thing out there that I hope it doesn't rain on such and such day. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. See, our hope is secure. And it is made secure in our minds by the Holy Spirit himself. So that's what he's given us, to us for. And verse 13 says that we should explain spiritual things to spiritual people. It says this, And we are setting these truths forth in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Holy Spirit, combining and interpreting spiritual truths with spiritual language to those who possess the Holy Spirit. I could be standing up here, and there could be a person come in this door that's totally lost in what we would say the depths of depravity, and nothing I'm saying would, comp would mean anything to him. 
I'm speaking spiritual words to spiritual people. That's what I'm supposed to do. If I don't do that from the pulpit, then I'm failing in the pulpit. So, I am speak to speak or explain spiritual things to spiritual people as directed by the Holy Spirit. If I'm not under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and I hope I am, because otherwise I'm talking to empty air. You ever stop and think about it when you pray? It's an act of faith. How do you know anybody's listening? Hmm? Speaking thoughts to the air. How do you know anybody's listening? By faith. Because he said what? I'll hear you. I'll hear you. You gather together and I'll be there with you. I'll hear you. Where two or more, you know what that word actually says? When two or four more make a symphony, make a symphony of words, it comes to the Lord as a harmony. Two or more are praying together. And so you hear him through his word, but he hears you because of his word. And when you talk about spiritual things that the 13th verse says combining and interpreting spiritual truths with spiritual language. Scripture is the best interpreter of scripture that there is. The Bible interprets the Bible. That's not to say that I do not rely a lot on commentaries, on somebody else along the way that has discovered these truths that they've been proven. But it does say that there's sometimes there's words printed out there that are not exactly in line with Scripture. So you should always, Scripture should agree with Scripture. And it always does. There is no controversy there. Verse 15, no, excuse me, verse 14, says, But the natural, non-spiritual man does not accept or welcome or admit into his heart the gifts and teachings and revelations of the Spirit of God. For they are folly, or meaningless nonsense to him, and he is incapable of knowing them because they are spiritually discerned and estimated and appreciated. 
I just read to you one of John Miles' favorite book, favorite verses. Some of you know John Miles. Used to be head of Center Center Cedar Kimball out here. Many we went to church with him many times, didn't we, Barbara? But John Miles used to get upset because he would witness and get nowhere. And one day he read this, and it says, The natural and spiritual man, in the Latin that's animus, animal man, the, the man in his natural animal state, does not accept or welcome. If the Holy Spirit doesn't shine that light in that dead man's eyes, you can relate to him every truth that's ever been known to mankind and it will mean nothing to him. Because he is not spiritually alive. If you speak spiritual language to a non-spiritual man, you get nowhere. And so if you witness and you get nowhere off the ground, it's not you. It's not you. It is whether or not the Holy Spirit is there. You see, someone asked a famous evangelist one time, said, do you witness to everyone? He said, no. But I ask. I ask. Is she the one? Is she the one? The Holy Spirit will prompt you if you're receptive. The Holy Spirit will prompt you as to who you're supposed to talk to, who you're supposed to witness to. If the Holy Spirit says no, then don't worry about it. You didn't miss an opportunity. It just wasn't there. So the Holy Spirit is to direct us in our witnessing because not everybody can hear it. Not everybody can hear the voice of the Spirit. I told you something about Calvinism and Arminianism. Arminianism believes that any man can be saved at any time if he just wants to be. Calvinism says that no man is saved unless he's called by God. And this is scriptural. Charles Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, his theory is Wesleyan Arminianism. And that is that once in every lifetime of every person, that person is eliminated one, at least once by the Holy Spirit and given the opportunity to be saved. 
I don't know whether that's true or not. That's just what Charles Wesley believed. But unless the Holy Spirit witnesses with you, and what can he witness to? Only the truth that's in this word. You go off trying to explain why the Aborigines in Borneo who've never heard the gospel, what's going to happen to them? That's a rabbit you shouldn't chase. You see, the Holy Spirit says, you tell her about Jesus. And don't deviate from that. Jesus. Charles Colton said something else about, I just hit my mind there, accepting Christ. I've always had problems with that term. And I didn't get it explained to me until I was reading book, Colton's book, Born Again. I can reach in my pocket and get a dollar bill and hand it to you and you can accept it. And what have you got? You've got a dollar bill. That's not the way. That term, accepting Christ, is something that's misused. Colson said he came to realize one day that to accept Christ meant to accept everything that he claimed about himself, everything that the scripture claims about Jesus Christ, you must accept. You must accept that he was prophesied in the Old Testament. You must accept that he came at the fullness of time. You must accept that he was born of a virgin. You must accept that he lived a sinless life. You must accept that he died on that cross, not swooned, he died on that cross. You have to accept that he was buried because he was dead, as Charles Clowers used to say, graveyard dead, and he because he was dead. And you have to accept that he arose from that grave, and you have to accept that he ascended into heaven. And you have to accept that he's coming back someday. You have to accept all that plus some other stuff that John said you couldn't write it all down. But you've got to accept all this about Christ. That's the reason you've got to keep your witnessing concentrated on Jesus and who he was and who he is and what he did and why he did it. Because in the earlier part of this chapter, we talked about preaching the foolishness of the cross. This natural, unspiritual man, what? He thinks is all, what? Folly. Just something somebody made up. It's a good story. But no, you've got to be directed by the Holy Spirit and only those enlightened by the Spirit can apprehend it. That's verse 14. 
And verse 15, he gives us spiritual discernment. But the spiritual man tries all things, yet is himself to be put on trial and judged by no one. The amplification says, but he can read the meaning of everything, but no one can properly discern or appraise or get an insight into him. This is what we call spiritual discernment. Being able to discern the right things in this word and the wrong things outside this word. This Holy Spirit gives us, this gift of the Spirit gives us spiritual discernment of the revelations of God cannot be done by a natural man and does not give us a claim on infallibility. I have news for you folks. Herschel's not infallible. In case you hadn't discovered that already. Neither is West Acres Baptist Church. Neither is Bellevue Baptist Church. Neither is the Pope. Even though the Catholic Church claims infallibility for the Pope. When he speaks ex cathedra from the throne, it means that he's speaking directly from God. Place out in Salt Lake City, Utah, they claim the same thing. Some temple out there. They claim the same thing, that they, they speak directly from God. Who's infallible? Only God himself. That doesn't mean that this translation here is perfectly infallible. I like it, but it doesn't mean that it's perfectly infallible. The Mormons love the King James Version because they can translate it ways that you wouldn't even believe they can translate it. There's ways that you can take that 1611 English and bend it around and make it do, make it do lots of stuff. But it doesn't give us infallibility just because we are spiritually enlightened. It means that for the moment that we understand the revelations of God, but we don't understand it to the point that we can be dogmatic about it. And then the 16th verse says this, For who has known or understood the mind of the Lord so as to guide and instruct him and give him knowledge? But we have the mind of Christ. Think about that, phase, that statement right there. We have the mind of Christ. And do hold the thoughts of his heart. Only those who have 
the mind of Christ are qualified to teach. The Holy Spirit gives the words that are proper. This verse is kind of misunderstood in that he's trying he's asking you says, "Well, whoever tried to teach God anything?" A lot of people have tried to teach God something. The non-spiritual man or the natural man who tried to teach me, and this has happened, folks, in a lot of our seminaries. We've had people that are not under the direction of the Holy Spirit teaching in our seminaries, trying to teach men who are spiritual did you know that that is a direct affront to God? They're trying to say to that young preacher that you can't go by what God says. you got to go by what I say. The, the th thing is, is, if you could understand it like I understand it, dum-dum, uh, you, would, you would see it my way. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to say that what you believe about the Word of God is, as instructed by the Holy Spirit is not all true. You have to go, you have to look at it my way. It happened in the Methodist Church many years ago. They, in, they infested, I would say, infested their seminaries. They've tried it in the Southern Baptist Convention, have succeeded to some degree, and they're at it again in the Southern Baptist Convention. And guys like Jimmy Milliken, y'all all know Jimmy. He's He's old school, man. He's conservative. Even the instructors up there at uh, Mid-America refer to Jimmy as the one who knows everything about everything. They, they, they jokingly say that about him, but they're about halfway serious. But that's the reason Mid-America Seminary is so conservative. Dr. Gray Allison you didn't cross him, did you? You didn't cross him in the word of God because he could take you to the, the judgment seat real quick and, and, and learn you something. And so only, only trust the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, will tr you can trust him to eliminate this word for you. I read that little passage one day that said the leper came up to Jesus and said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I'm willing. And he touched him. Some say, well, did he violate the law? It was against the law. 
to touch a leper. Leave that between you and Jesus. Jesus knew what he was doing. And whether, whether the man was clean before Jesus got his hands on him or not, I don't know. I wasn't there. But I do know this. There was a voice right back here that said, you are that leper. You're that leper. By the way, my testimony is this morning, my name is Barabbas. And if that soldier comes up and asks me what I'm doing out on the street, a convicted felon, I can say, that one, that one up there took my place. And he took your place too. He took our place. And so he, but he told us, he said, if I go, I will send the comforter, the paraclete, the one who walks beside, and he will instruct you in all righteousness. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for that paraclete, that Holy Spirit that knows the depths of your mind and reveals to us what we need to know. Not everything that's in the depth of that mind, it would blow our brains out to even try to comprehend that. But you reveal to us the way of the cross and you will lead us home in Jesus name Amen